WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone, for another Marian Hour on this Wednesday, the second Wednesday of December. December 14th, and we celebrate today the feast of one of the great Carmelites. He's called the mystical doctor, St. John of the Cross, who with St. Teresa of Avila, another doctor of the church, helped to reform the Carmelite order back in the 16th century for which John suffered much. Uh, his, his great works like the Ascent of Mount Carmel, uh, the Spiritual Canticle, uh, are real uh, treasures in our Catholic uh, tradition of spirituality. And I'm going to begin today, as I usually do, with a, a prayer to Our Lady, my favorite prayer, the Memorare. So if you would join me, in praying, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, well, today, the 14th of December, we are... Uh, getting closer to the great feast of the Nativity of our Lord. And we just celebrated two days ago, well, last week we celebrated the Immaculate Conception. Okay, okay. Mary conceived without sin, preserved from all sin, unlike us who are freed from that original sin because we contract it at our conception. Mary, at her conception, was preserved free from contracting the sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because she was going to be destined from all eternity in one and the same eternal decree by God to be the mother of God, the mother of the Word made flesh. So it was most right and fitting that she who would be the vessel, that the new Ark of the Covenant would be spotless from conception, so Satan would never have a grip on her. And this is actually revealed in the first revelation, the good news of salvation, the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.14. After the original sin, God promises a Savior, speaking to Satan, the serpent, I will put enmities between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and she will crush your head. The um, translation we use, she crush your head, it's actually in the original Hebrew, it will crush your head. Properly, Jesus crushes the head of the, of the serpent, but we can apply uh, that 
third-person singular neuter pronoun to Mary as well. In fact, uh, Pope Blessed Pius IX does this, I think, at least four times in his um, apostolic constitution defining the Immaculate Conception. And Satan, as that verse reflects, never had a grip on, on Mary, was never able to attack her because she not only was preserved from original sin, from conception, she was filled with grace. And this is why uh, the angel, archangel Gabriel greets her, hail full of grace, acknowledging that she was filled with grace from conception. So that was last week, December 8th. Uh, Thursday, we celebrated the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, a solemnity. It was a holy day of obligation. In case you didn't know that, you should have gone to Mass if you didn't. Um, well, this past Monday, two days ago, we celebrated another great Marian feast, Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit today. Um, the Spaniards under Hernan Cortez, they conquered, entered into Mexico in the year 1519. And they encountered, when they got to uh, what is modern-day Mexico City, um, just uh, a, a horrible religious practice that had been going on for hundreds of years. The Aztecs were offering sacrifices to one of their pagan gods, Huichilopochtli, offering human sacrifices. And um, I have some numbers here. Let me see. Um, um, the historian William Warren Carroll, who founded Christendom College, one of the great truly authentic Catholic colleges in this country. Um, he was a great historian, Dr. Carroll. He, he penned a book some years back, I think about 40 years ago, titled Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness, which I've read a couple of times. And he did a lot of good research in writing that book. And he said that at the time, Cortez and the, the Spaniards uh, came into Mexico. Tlatelolco uh, was the, actually the name of the city. It's kind of hard to pronounce. Tlatelolco. I could hardly say it. A lot of L's in there. Um, well, they encountered the Aztec practice of, of offering human sacrifices. And uh, for, in some years, at least 50,000 people were, were sacrificed. Um, it's estimated by an early Mexican historian that one out of every five children in Mexico were killed to appease the gods. And the, the Aztecs would make war on other tribes to get victims for their human sacrifices because the gods had to be appeased by human sacrifice. It was really diabolical. And um, sometimes entire tribes, numbering in the 10,000s, were exterminated. And this is one of the, the, the reasons why 
Cortes, with a small band of his soldiers, were able to defeat the Aztecs because they were able to garner assistance by the neighboring tribes who didn't like being taken prisoner and offered up in sacrifice. So they were uh, more than willing to help the, um, uh, the Spaniards. And anyway, uh, Cortes conquers uh, Montezuma, who was, who was the chief, and the Aztecs. And right away, he, he writes to um, the, the king and queen back in Spain, and he asks for missionaries. The first missionaries, there were 12 of them Franciscans. They, they came in the year 1521. They're called the Twelve Apostles. They were Franciscans. They were some of the most brilliant scholars in Mexico at that time. And um, they walked barefoot from Veracruz, which is on the coast, the um, Atlantic coast, that city, they walked barefoot from there all the way inland, you know, across mountains to get to modern-day Mexico City as penance, uh, really, f f uh, to begin their work. Uh, Cortez knelt down and kissed their feet when they arrived, and they, they tried uh, to evangelize people. They, uh, in, in, uh, that same city, modern-day Mexico City, they, they founded the Church of St. James. And, however, at the time when they were trying to evangelize the people there, uh, the, the, the natives, the Aztecs and other tribes, uh, they were encountering problems. And one of the problems were that the first group of administrators from Spain— um, who were ruling in 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 you know in in the name of the king of Spain at that time? Well, <coughs> they uh, they were not good men. Okay, um, the leader was Nuno de, Gu de Guzman, and he was really a, you you could call him a cruel tyrant. Um, filled with avarice, you know, uh, he and his men, you know, tried to attain power and wealth. They would enslave Indians, kidnap women and children, levied fines, taxes on them, stole their property. And uh, the bishop with the, the Franciscan friars um, objected to this. I'll back up a little here and, and, and talk about the bishop, okay? His name was um, uh, Zumaraga. Zumaraga, okay, Zumaraga, uh, Juan de Zumaraga. Uh, back in, <clears throat> in the year 1527, okay, shortly after Cortes uh, conquered the Aztecs and after the Franciscans came, okay, there wasn't a bishop yet. And in 1527, King Charles of Spain, he was the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. Um, he spent Holy Week at a Franciscan monastery near the city of Burgos in northern Spain, and he encountered there the prior, the friar, 
Juan de Zumarraga. He was the prior of the monastery, and the king was so impressed by the holiness of Friar Zumarraga that later that year, or a year later, you could say, uh, in 1528, he recommended that he become the first bishop of Mexico. And his title that he was given was the Protector of the Indians. Okay. And when he arrived in, in Mexico, <clears throat> he worked with the, the Franciscans there. There were more Franciscans now. But, you know, they, they were really impeded in their work of evangelization because of this cruel tyrant, uh, Nuno de Guzman, and, and others who were ruling with him. So <clears throat> they, they saw how they were abusing the, the natives. Um, we call them Indians, okay, uh, because they thought originally they were in India <laughs> from, from Christopher, Christopher Columbus's days. You know, this is only about uh, 40 years, not even 40 years afterwards. And uh, so Bishop Zumarraga uh, saw the problems that they were having because the, actually the friars, when they tried to go out to, to, to preach, uh, they would see people fleeing from them because they were afraid of, of the Spaniards because of the, the unjust rulers that were in control of Mexico at the time. And so the bishop wrote a letter to, um, to the, the king and um, explaining, and here's, I'll quote from this letter, the persecution that the president, that is Guzman, and his judges carry on against the monks and the clergy is worse than that of Herod and Diocletian. Diocletian was one of the early um, Roman emperors, actually early 4th century, if I recall, uh, who really persecuted the Christians. And um, in fact, the bishop had to smuggle this letter out of the country because, uh, I guess, the, from what I understand from uh, the article that I read, an excellent article, I'll just I'll quote her name here, um, Mary Hansen. This was in 1 Peter 5 just a couple of days ago. Actually, it was yesterday. Okay, She wrote an excellent article. It was called The Protector of the Indians. And, uh, well... The, the local ruler, de Guzman, uh, heard that the bishop had written this letter. Well, he had, was able to smuggle it out and get it back to, to uh, the letter was delivered to the king, and uh, Ferdinand. And he removed uh, Guzman and put in uh, good men who were honorable, had a, you know, a, re a good character. And anyway, the, the Franciscans were still having a problem in trying to convert the people because after hundreds of years of this pagan religion and human sacrifices, uh, combined with the unjust rulers of the Spanish, they, they were just having problems. And um, so Bishop Zumarraga, uh, like all Franciscans, had a great devotion to Our Lady, and he begged for her intercession to do something to remedy the situation, even though they had new rulers now. And something that Mary Hansen says in this article, which I did not know, um, and this was unknown to anyone else at the time, that Bishop Zumarraga, he asked 
Our Lady in his prayers to send him Castilian roses as a sign that she heard his desperate plea for help. Okay. So uh, that's an important fact because okay, um, in the Church of St. James in Mexico City, modern-day Mexico City, the Franciscans did have success in converting some. And among their first converts was a man, a man, a middle-aged man named Juan Diego and his wife. And Juan Diego, of course, is the man to whom Our Lady of Guadalupe, under that title, appeared. Um, he was making his way into Mexico City, December 9th, 1531. Our Lady appears to him. She says, go tell the bishop that I want a chapel here built in my honor on, on this, this little mount, this hill, Tapayac. And so he goes and tells the bishop this. And the bishop um, sees that, you know, he's a good man, but, you know, could this be true? He's got to be skeptical, cautious, prudent, okay? So, um, you know, he, first he puts him off. He says, well, you know, you know, come back some other time. Uh, Juan, uh, on his way back, Our Lady appears to him again. She says, no, go to him again. He goes the next day. And the bishop says, well, I'd like a sign, some sign that Our Lady is appearing. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to take a break right here. We'll, we'll return to our, the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe in just um, a minute or two. And uh, then we're going to talk about uh, the Sunday readings uh, later in our program. So we'll take a short break at this time. Please join us in just a couple of minutes for this uh, Marian Hour on Wednesday, December 14th. This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, and I'm pleased to be here at the Pro-Life Rally, the March for Life here in Federal Plaza. And I've been asked the question, why is Catholic Radio important? Well, it's important because we need to get the word out. And more that we can broadcast widely the message of Jesus Christ, we really are doing the mission of the church. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook.
Okay, this is Father Dwight Campbell. I'm, I'm back for uh, the second segment of the Marian Hour. And, and after speaking a little bit today about the Immaculate Conception, I'm now speaking on the feast we celebrated just two days ago, Our Lady of Guadalupe. I was giving a little background uh, to the situation uh, in, in Mexico before Our Lady appeared. Uh, talking about how uh, Cortez and his soldiers encountered uh, these horrible practices of human sacrifice by the Aztecs. They defeated them. The Franciscans came, the first evangelizers, the missionaries, and then uh, the first bishop was appointed, a Franciscan, um, Juan Zumarraga, and uh, I was sharing with our audience before we, we broke that he was praying to Our Lady uh, for success in the evangelizing mission because uh, they were having problems with you know, converting the natives there, uh, the Aztecs and others. And uh, the bishop didn't tell anyone, but he asked for a sign of Castilian roses. Okay, So if you know the story of St. Saint, of Saint, uh, Juan Diego, St. Juan Diego he is now, um, we're going to talk about the sign that was actually given. And anyway, so Juan Diego, he's one of the early converts. He's uh, told by Our Lady when he's on his way to what is modern-day Mexico City to go tell the bishop that she wants a chapel built. He tells the bishop, and he's, you know, very skeptical, sends him away. He sees Our Lady... Um, Again, Our Lady tells him, no, go tell the bishop, you know, that, that it is I. I, I want this, this chapel built. And the bishop still doesn't believe him. And the bishop says, I, I need a sign. Okay. And so on the, on the 12th of December, 1531, uh, Juan, his uncle, Juan Bernardino, he's dying and he wants a priest. So uh, Juan Diego, he... He's on his way to, uh, to get a priest, and he tries to walk the other way around to Pyak Hill to avoid Our Lady because he wants to get a priest for his uncle. Well, Our Lady appears to him. She says, don't worry about your uncle. He's cured already. Okay, I want you to go up to the top of this hill, to Pyak Hill, and gather the flowers up there. And Juan Diego's thinking, flowers? This is mid-December. There's a frost uh, there would be no flowers up there. Well, he discovers all these beautiful Castilian roses up on top of the hill. He gathers them into his tilma, which is like a poncho. Okay? And he goes to the bishop. And um, he knocks on the door. He's allowed in. He says, I have the sign that you asked for. Now, Juan doesn't know that there's another sign on the tilma, he just thinks it's, it's, the, it's the Castilian roses. And, well, he opens up his, his tilma. The, the roses fall to the floor, and the bishop and others fall to their knees. And then, you know, Juan is wondering what's going on, St. Juan Diego, and he looks. He sees the exact image of the Blessed Virgin who appeared to him on Topiac Hill on his garment. And so within days, the bishop obediently... Okay. He authorizes a small chapel be built to house this miraculous image. 
And he appoints Juan Diego as uh, the, the guardian of the sacred image for the rest of his life. And uh, people would come from the city and the surrounding area, and they would uh, just be in awe when they entered and saw Our Lady because she appeared as, as a mestizo, okay, uh, as, as a Mexican woman in the, in the image, if you've seen the, the beautiful image. Uh, Mary is pregnant in the image. She's standing in front of, of uh, the sun, which means she's more powerful than, than the sun god. She's got her feet over the moon. She's more powerful than their moon god. But she's not a goddess to be prayed to. We know this because, you know, and this is how the natives could interpret the image. She has her hands folded, her head bowed in prayer. She also has a brooch on her neck with a cross on it. Okay, to signify, you know, Christ. And she's got a, a band around her waist in a bow, which, which signified to the Aztecs that she was with child. And so this, this image not only remained in this chapel, but it was carried around to different towns. And the largest conversion, I think, in the history of the world, um, in a short time, the next 15 years, or 10 to 15 years, 9 million Aztecs and other Native American uh, from Native Americans from, from Mexico were converted to the Christian faith, to the Catholic faith. And uh, I've heard historians, I think William Carroll makes this point in his excellent book, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness, which I would recommend. It's a, not a, a big, thick book. It's a, it's a nice, short read, but filled with good facts. Okay, He says that, um, and other good historians are of this opinion, that uh, this helped to make up for the loss of Catholics who fell away from the Church in Europe from the Protestant Revolt. Okay. Millions and millions fell away from the Catholic faith. Well, uh, this helped to make up for that. Nine million being converted over 10 to 15 years uh, after Our Lady appears with this image. So, um, in 1548, Bishop Zamarago was appointed the first Archbishop of the New World. Juan Diego, he died on May 30th of that year, 1548, and Archbishop Zumarga died three days later. Okay. So they, they both uh, you know, were taken up into the presence of uh, the beautiful Lady of Tepayac, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, for all eternity. Okay. And uh, one basilica was built, a newer one stands there today. I've, I spent some, some time in Mexico um, a few decades back when I was in the seminary and uh, I visited the, the new basilica with the image many times. It's just spectacular. And I think it is the most visited shrine, Marian shrine, in the church. Okay. Just millions go there every year. So that's Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now I'd like to turn to our Sunday readings. Okay. And... Uh, typically on the fourth Sunday of Advent, the church focuses more on the Blessed Virgin Mary and her virginity. And we see that 
in the, the new order of the Mass, okay, the Novus Ordo, this fourth Sunday of Advent, the readings uh, are, uh, the first reading is from Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 to 14, and the Gospel from Matthew, chapter 1, um, and uh, verses 18 to 24. I'll read the first reading from Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 to 14, okay? This is what you'll hear on Sunday if you go to Mass in the, in the New Rite of the Mass. Okay. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as the netherworld or as high as the sky. Okay. And just so you'll know, the this is Isaiah who is speaking on behalf of our Lord to King Ahaz. King Ahaz was a descendant of King David in the line of David, the king of Judah. If you read the preceding sentences in chapter 7, you'll see that uh, the king from the northern kingdom of, of uh, Israel, or Ephraim, uh, was about to make war along with, I think, the king of Syria uh, against the southern kingdom, and, and Ahaz is worried. And Isaiah speaks to him, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Okay. But, but Ahaz answers, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, <clears throat> listen, O house of David, because Ahaz is from the house, the line of King David. Is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. So this is the first reading quoting this famous prophecy by Isaiah to King Ahaz. The virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. What's significant about this? Well, <clears throat> we know that the Virgin was, in fact, Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And <clears throat> this prophecy was fulfilled in her. Mary conceives as a virgin. How do we know this? Well, uh, we know this from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 26. St. Luke tells us that um, the angel Gabriel was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. See, Joseph was, was Jesus' legal father. He was betrothed to Mary at the time, meaning he was legally married to the Virgin Mary at the time of the Annunciation, but before they came to live together. The Jewish weddings had two parts. The formal engagement, which we would call an engagement, was actually the wedding. Okay, the legal the legal wedding was entered into, but before they came to live together. Okay, think of Cana. That's the celebration where they 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 would come to live together. So uh, Mary is is legally married. She's betrothed to Joseph at this time, and the angel appears to her. And what does he say? Hail, full of grace. The Lord is with thee acknowledging her immaculate conception. Okay? She's filled with grace. 
as I said at the beginning of the show today. And then he says, you will conceive and bear a son and name him Jesus. And he will be son of the Most High God. He will reign on the throne of David, his father, forever. Okay. Meaning that uh, he will be born in the line of David, okay, through Joseph, who is the legal father, who's from the house of David. So we know that when Mary gives her fiat to, um, to the Archangel Gabriel, that uh, she conceives as a virgin. And, <clears throat> well, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, one of the great prophecies in the Old Testament in regard to the virginal conception of Mary, of, of Jesus by Mary, okay? But also, I'll read the line again because it's important. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So what is that telling us? Besides being a virgin in conceiving Jesus, Mary will remain a virgin in the process of giving birth. Okay. In the Latin, it's called in partu. Okay. As well as postpartum. Okay. We're going to get to that in a moment. Okay. After birth, she remains a virgin. But right now, something that I don't think a lot of Catholics realize is that uh, Mary was a virgin in giving birth, in the process of giving birth. Okay. She remains a virgin. Her virginity remains intact. It's a miraculous birth, in other words. Okay. And <clears throat> I'll just mention something else here. The word virgin, it's been a subject of dispute among people over the centuries, okay? Because the Jews, first of all, were trying to deny that, uh, you know, Jesus was God. They wanted to undermine this prophecy. And so they were making the point that in the original Hebrew, in which this is written, the word for virgin in the Hebrew is Alma, which can mean either a young maiden, a young unmarried woman, in other words, okay, or a virgin as we understand it. So, um, <clears throat> they claim that uh, the Jews back at that time, and even after that, some modern <laughs> scripture people, you know, point to this, this fact and say, oh, well, you know, King Ahaz had a son, and uh, this, this son uh, that is referred to um, uh, is really the, the savior uh, of the Jews at that time. I, I think it was Hezekiah. And so this isn't referring to Mary. This is referring to a, a direct descendant of King Ahaz. Well, uh, that argument doesn't hold water, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, back in the late 4th century, after a guy named Alexander the Great, the Greek, 
conquered, you know, many lands, including Palestine, the Holy Land, okay, uh, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint because 70 or 72, we think, Hebrew scripture scholars, the tradition has it that they each took a copy of the Hebrew scriptures and off on their own translated it from Hebrew into Greek and they all came up with the exact same translation into Greek, which was by the hand of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, how did they translate the Hebrew word Alma into Greek? They, they used the word Parthenos. And Parthenos in the Greek has only one meaning. It doesn't mean a young unmarried woman or a young maiden. Okay, It means a virgin. And this is a confirmation that this prophecy is in reference to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And <clears throat> so uh, we go to the gospel, and I think we're about ready to take a break, but I'll just mention, okay, the gospel for this Sunday is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. And Matthew, St. Matthew here describes uh, how the birth of Jesus came about, okay? We'll continue with that, and we'll finish up on this topic in the third segment of the Marian Hour after we take a short break. an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Hi, my name is Irene Sherapata. My husband Alex and I are volunteers for WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is our family's source of truthful and trustworthy information regarding the Catholic faith, the church, our religion, and state of the world in these trying times. My husband Alex and I are greatly rewarded for our volunteer work at WSFI by working with such lovable and like-minded people and by meeting and hearing firsthand 
some of our, the most respected, wise, and interesting guest speakers. Its programmings on healing the whole person has helped so many and is truly inspired by God. This radio station is really a school of Catholic thought and source of wisdom. We have learned so much, and our faith and love for God has increased so much that we hope to share it with everyone we meet. We hope and pray that WSFI 88.5 FM would soon reach the entire Chicagoland population. You too can help WSFI bring millions of souls to God. See how you can support their effort by calling WSFI Catholic Radio at 224-206-8455 or online at wsficatholicradio.org for your donation. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless you. This is Father Dwight Campbell returning for the third segment of the Marian Hour on this second Wednesday of December, <clears throat> the Feast of St. John of the Cross, uh, Doctor of the Church. He's called the Mystical Doctor. Reformer with St. Teresa of Avila, another Doctor of the Church of the Carmelites back in the 16th century. And... In this part of the Marian Hour, I'm speaking about Mary's virginity and really focusing on the readings for this Sunday. But I'd like to begin um, uh, this segment just quoting from a poem by the saint whose feast we celebrate today, St. John of the Cross. He's regarded as one of Spain's greatest poets, besides being a great spiritual writer, and one of his poems is called The Incarnation, which is very um, fitting for the time of year we're in, waiting for Christmas. Okay. And uh, John of the Cross penned this, this. The translation was done by Roy Campbell, the poet, no relation to yours truly. Um, and, and here's John of the Cross's The Incarnation. Then he summoned an archangel, St. Gabriel, and when he came, sent him forth to find a maiden. Mary was her name. Only through her consenting love could the mystery be preferred, that the Trinity in human flesh might clothe the word. Though the three persons worked the wonder, it only happened in the one. So it was the word made incarnation in Mary's womb, a son. So he who only had a father now had a mother undefiled, though not his ordinary maids had she conceived the child. By Mary and with her own flesh he was clothed in his own frame. Both Son of God and Son of Man together had one name. Well, <clears throat> that little poem uh, reflects the, the truth of our our readings for this coming Sunday, okay, from Isaiah, as I, I quoted uh, in my last segment, the famous prophecy, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So Mary is a virgin conceiving, 
Jesus, as we learn from St. Luke's Gospel, the Annunciation, chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and in bearing a son, she remains a virgin in giving birth. It's a miraculous birth. As St. Augustine once said, if Mary is not a virgin in giving birth, she's not a virgin. But Mary's also a virgin forever after. Okay. And I'll, I'll lead into that by uh, first quoting from the Gospel for this Sunday, St. Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. St. Matthew tells us, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, okay, note that, okay, he's already legally her husband. Okay? The Jewish marriage takes place in two parts. The betrothal, you're already legally married. So Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly okay? because she was found with child. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son. You are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. God saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife into his home. So some you know, people think that Joseph was scandalized by uh, learning of Mary's pregnancy. He had the right under Jewish law if, if your uh, betrothed was was. Um, found to be with child, not by you, to actually put someone to death or to send them away. Joseph decides to send Mary away, but not because he's scandalized. Uh, the tradition in the church since the early Middle Ages is that Joseph sends Mary away because somehow he has learned that she has conceived the Messiah. And he is, out of reverential fear, he does not want to undertake this responsibility he thinks is too grave too much for himself. And this is why the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Joseph. See, he fears to undertake this, this great vocation. Um, after the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph is the next greatest saint in the church. God bestows grace fitting to the vocation to which one is called. Joseph had the next greatest vocation after Mary, the mother of the Savior, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. Uh, Joseph has the next greatest vocation, the spouse, the husband of Mary, and the foster father, or as I like to call him, the virgin father of Jesus. Now, here I'm going to get into the third aspect of Mary's virginity. Not only is she a virgin in conceiving Jesus and in giving him birth, she remains a virgin forever after. And this is actually a dogma of our faith. And <clears throat> it was actually defined 
in the first Lateran Council back in 649. This wasn't an ecumenical council, but it was approved by the Pope, St. Martin I. And its pronoun pronouncements are considered author authoritative and dogmatic. And uh, the, the First Lateran Council in 649 proclaimed that Mary is a virgin in conceiving Jesus, in giving birth, and forever afterwards. And anyone who would deny this, anathemasit, you, you are anathematized. You are, you are uh, considered you know, out of the church. And uh, our catechism reflects this. Okay, I'm going to read from the catechism um, number uh, 490. Oh, just a minute here. I'll get it. Open my catechism. Okay, 499. Okay. And the catechism r refers to... Um, the fact that, as I quote here, the Church confesses Mary's real and perpetual virginity even in the act of giving birth to the Son of God made man. Christ's birth did not diminish his mother's virginal integrity, but sanctified it. And so in the liturgy of the Church, it celebrates Mary as I Parthenos, the ever virgin. So she's a perpetually a virgin. In conceiving Jesus, she's a virgin. Uh, in giving birth to him, which did not diminish her virginal integrity, and ever afterwards, okay, perpetually. And number 500 in the Catechism says, against this doctrine is the ob objection sometimes raised that the Bible mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus. The Church has always understood these passages as not referring to other children of the Virgin Mary. In fact, James and Joseph, two of those named as brothers of Jesus, are the sons of another Mary. We know this from the Gospel, okay? from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 13, verse 55, chapter 28, verse 1. Okay. There's another Mary named who is the mother of two men, James and Joseph, who are called brothers of Jesus in the Gospels. Okay. And uh, St. Matthew significantly, as the Catechism states, calls this woman the other Mary. So these close relations to Jesus would have been maybe cousins, but uh, people were generically called, you know, brothers and sisters if you, you were a close relation to someone. In fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis, the nephew of, of Abraham, Lot, is called his brother. You know, he's a close relation to him. Now, uh, another objection to Mary's perpetual virginity is found um, is found if we keep reading the gospel verse from Matthew's gospel for this Sunday. Okay, we cut off uh, saying that you know for this Sunday that that Joseph took Mary into his home. Okay, well the very next line says. 
Um, Joseph had no relations with her until she bore a son and named him Jesus. Well, uh, does that mean that after she gave birth to Jesus, Joseph had relations with her? No. The word until is used biblically not to imply a change in the situation afterwards. And I'll give you a couple of exa examples of that, okay? Um, in 2 Samuel, uh, David was dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. And his wife, one of his wives, Mike Michal, okay, who was the daughter of Saul, the King Saul, who David replaced okay, as king, uh, she was angry with him for dancing. Why are you making a spectacle of yourself? You know, how dare you dance you know, in front of these commoners? And uh, the Bible tells us that because of this, she bore no children until the day she died. Well, does that mean she bore children after she died? Of course not. Okay. Another example is John's Gospel, chapter, chapter 9, verse, verse 18, where uh, a blind man is cured by Jesus. And the Pharisees, the, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, they don't believe that Jesus did this. And then John tells us that um, the scribes and the Pharisees did not believe this blind man until his parents came and testified that he was blind from birth. Well, even after that happened, they still didn't believe. See, this doesn't express any change in the situation. We don't recognize a change in, in Mary's virginity. Why not? Because she is the God-bearer. She is the new Ark of the Covenant. Joseph never would have dreamed of having relations with Mary because she is the mother of God. Even after giving birth, her womb is still sanctified, okay, because she's the new Ark of the Covenant. Think of how, you know, the, the temple in, the, in Old Testament times uh, built, uh, and even into the New Testament, okay, it, it housed the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy of Holies was the holiest place in the temple. No one could enter into that Holy of Holies except the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. Okay. Even after the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and rebuilt under King Herod, you still had the Holy of Holies in which no one could enter in. Why? Because the Ark had once been there, which contained the Word of God written on two stone tablets. Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. Even after she gives birth, her womb is sanctified. Joseph never would have dreamed of having relations with Mary, and it's undeserving of her because she, she, she bore the Son of God in her womb for nine months. And here I'll just, I'll just say something else, too. Uh, Mary's perpetual virginity is revealed in her protest to the archangel Gabriel. When Gabriel says, you will conceive and bear a son, Jesus, Mary says, how can this be? Because I do not know man. Okay. Meaning she never intended to know St. Joseph intimately. She had taken a vow of virginity. She's willing to change her vow and do what God wills if God wills this, if this is God's will. So if she wants if God wants Mary to have relations with Joseph, she will do this. But the angel reassures her, no, you will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Mary's virginity is left intact. 
And this is the only way we can make sense of Mary's, Mary's objection. How can this be since I do not know man? She was, she was already legally married. She's going to come together with her husband shortly. You know, think of any young woman engaged, okay, to be married, and an angel comes and says, you will conceive and bear a son. Well, she would think naturally that, well, when I come together with my husband after we're married, you know, after we, you know, begin to live together, okay, I'll conceive and bear a son. Mary says, no, how can this be? Which, which reflects her intention never to have relations with Joseph. And John Paul II, I'll quote uh, a, a famous homily he gave uh, back in, um, in October of 1996, um, he says, uh, We can wonder why Mary would accept betrothal since she had the intention of remaining a virgin forever. It may be presumed that at the time of their betrothal, there was an understanding between Joseph and Mary about the plan to live as a virgin. Moreover, the Holy Spirit, who had inspired Mary to choose virginity in view of the mystery of the Incarnation and, uh, and uh, birth of of the son uh, was was uh, at work here, you could say. Okay, um, so the latter would come into a family setting, says John Paul, suited to a child's growth, and this was also quite able the Holy Spirit to instill in Joseph the ideal of virginity as well. So. We have this long tradition of in the church of uh, Mary being a virgin, okay, a teaching which is dogmatic, okay, conceiving Jesus, in giving birth, and forever afterwards. And this is really all in view of, of the fact that Mary is the mother of God, okay. Um, this is, as John Paul II says in the same homily, you know, a, a concrete condition uh, of her being the mother of God, the new Ark of the Covenant, uh, that the incarnation would take place in her son. Uh, her son deserves uh, a spotless vessel, that's her immaculate conception, and that no one else should uh, have entrance into this holy of holies, which is her womb, not even Joseph, her husband. This is the dogmatic teaching of the Church. Until next time, I'll bid you adieu. Have a blessed Advent. We'll see you after, or you'll hear me after the Christmas holidays, uh, the fourth Wednesday of December. I think it's the 28th. God bless you. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.